Do you lack motivation to keep getting into the gym? Do you lack structure with your fitness routine? Do you keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and getting the same exact result? If that sounds like you, then I want you guys to make sure that you go check out my brand new revamped 10 week program because so many people struggle with a lack of motivation, they struggle with a lack of structure, but we make sure that we start off the program by getting very clear on what is the exact goal that you want to achieve. Then we determine the strategy, we determine the two or the three things that are the most important things that you need to do every single week in order to achieve that goal and then I help you hold you accountable every single week, week after week to make sure you're actually making progress. Like I don't let my clients go more than a few weeks if they're not continuing to make progress to their goals. So make sure you guys check out my brand new 10-week program at nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. That way you can go from a lack of motivation to being able to jump out of bed every single morning. Hey everyone, welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you want to become the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do in order to get there. Because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus, easy to lose a sense of direction, and that's why so many people fall short of their true potential. But that's why I'm here and I create videos, podcasts, and fitness programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today, I'm super pumped to bring you Will Nitza. Will is the founder and CEO at IQ Bar. Over the past two and a half years, Will has scaled his brain food brand from $0 to $4 plus million with zero institutional funding. He started as a man tinkering around with the ingredients in his kitchen to selling his bars in over 7,000 US locations as well as online. I can't wait for you to hear about the biggest manufacturing screw up that they had and about how you should start looking at risk a little bit differently. Before diving into the episode, make sure you're following me on Instagram at carrier underscore best you, follow Will at IQ Life CEO, and you can follow IQ Bar at Eat IQ Bar. And you can find everything in the show notes at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. But without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with the one and only Will Nitza. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up today to have the one and only Will Nitza with me today. Will, I want to start off by just saying thanks so much for taking some time out of your uh, your ski trip to join me today. No problem. Happy to do it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So, uh, Will is the founder and CEO at IQ Bar, um, and over the past two and a half years, he scaled his brain food bar and, and brand from zero to four million dollars from zero institutional funding, which is uh, super impressive, and I know he's just going to continue to build it more and more. But kind of the way I want to start today, Will, is that you kind of got really fascinated with the brain and how it functions and um, and everything like that back when you were studying psychology back at Harvard. And then you went into kind of saw a software job, from, from what I understand, to your first job out of college. And then kind of in your mid-20s, you started to experience some of your own problems. You had like daily headaches and other kind of problems like that. And you sought to figure out, okay, what is going on with me right now? And you kind of took a deep dive into figuring out what that was. How did you figure out what the root of your problem was? Uh, well, it was pretty painfully apparent, uh, quite literally. I mean, so, um, you know, I just, as you get, and not to say being in your mid twenties is, is old or anything, but just as you get older and you get into more of a sedentary lifestyle and you're out of college where you're running around and you're not sitting at a desk for 
whatever it is, 12 hours a day. And, um, you, you know, you're pounding three, four cups of coffee a day, stuff just starts happening, uh, you know, physically. And, uh, you start, if you're taking the, the wrong route, you start, fe- you know, feeling it quite, quite, quite obviously. So in my mid twenties, I just started feeling physically terrible. Um, and I was always kind of chasing that next stimulant, you know, co- coffee, namely, and to keep me going. And, um, but I just crashed at the end of every day and I was having headaches. And I, at first I was like, is this just the way it is? Like uh, when you're in a sedentary job and you're working all the time, but I knew it, it couldn't, it didn't have to be that way. So that, that started getting the wheels turning for me in terms of how do I fix myself? And then that then sort of segued into, well, okay, is, is there a solution I can create for, cause I know everyone, I mean, this is a, it's an infinitely relatable issue um, to some extent. Gotcha. So you that kind of led you to start tinkering around a little bit in your kitchen, kind of figuring out, okay, I, there's not really a ready-to-eat product for me right now that's out there that I feel like is going to kind of help solve my issue. And so you kind of started playing around in the kitchen. Um, and when did it kind of turn from tinkering, tinkering, tink, excuse me, tinkering around in the kitchen and like a hobby and then like, okay, this is actually a business that I want to create. Well, uh, I knew I wanted to do something. I want to start something and set out on my own in some way. I just didn't really know how to do that or in what area to do that. Um, so, you know, it's just started with uh, my whole life. I've been thinking about these kind of fun hypotheses of projects or businesses. Um, many of which are just not possible because I don't have the know-how or, you know, um, I would need to find a coder or, you know, whatever it is. I would always run up against some sort of barrier. Um, but in this case, you know, on the nutrition front, it's an incredibly difficult path to success, but the very first stages, um, are relatively straightforward. They just require a ton of work. So I knew this was something I could do uh, myself um, and I could just kind of figure it out. But so I, I, and to even rewind a little bit, you, know, you start with a hypothesis, right? Like with any business concept. And so I said, I have this personal problem. I actually then basically solved it and physiologically experienced what a solution actually means and feels like by changing my diet completely to from high carb to more of a paleo slash low carb diet. And then started sort of percolating, these ideas started percolating in my mind about, okay, I fixed it, but I I don't, there's no, it's not a perfect fix. Like, how can I create a ready to eat fix? Um, And if I could do that, would that be, how big of an opportunity would that be? Um, Again, I, I, there was no doubt that this was an infinitely relatable problem that needs solving. It was just a question of, could I create something um, that would be a good solution for this? So. you know, it, when it really turned into from, you know, ideation to reality was, I th- well, the first step I took was I called every um, food entrepreneur in Boston. And I sat down with them for a coffee and just asked them a laundry list of questions. Um, just stuff that, you know, uh, the number one question of startups everyone says is, well, I don't know where to start. Where do you start? So that my goal is to solve that question. And so I asked them, where did you start? How did you manufacture? Where did you source ingredients? 
Um, you know, what sort of cost of goods should I be expecting? Blah, 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 blah. And that gave me an initial roadmap. Um, and then once I had the roadmap it, and I actually could see a path to this thing existing and scaling up and, and all that, then it became really apparent to me that this, this could work. Um, because, you know, a lot of people have a lot of ideas and unless you have that initial roadmap and you believe it can exist, you're not going to put in the hundreds and thousands of hours necessary to even just get to the starting block. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think that's an awesome step to be able to sit down with a bunch of food entrepreneurs. And so once you kind of gained clarity on the roadmap, if you will, and you kind of answered the question to how do you start, what was kind of that first step? Was it like trying to nail down like that first prototype? Cause I know you ran a, a Kickstarter with a prototype product. Was that kind of the first thing that was like, okay, I'm going to jump off from here. Yeah. Well, I mean, so there, there are stages and there, there there's an order of operations that, um, you know, generally speaking, people try to follow. Um, but people follow orders of operations in, in different um, sequences. So, you know, my general sequence was I had this idea. I, um, yeah, I mean, a prototype is, is the first step, but your prototype, your first prototype is never a real prototype. So for my, in, in my instance, I went to the grocery store and bought a bunch of ingredients and just mashed them together. And that was my quote unquote prototype. Of course, that's nothing like what could be feasible in the market. Can't scale it up that way. Um, the cost of goods are way too high, but at least it's a place to start. And then you sort of lay out, well, okay, could this be feasible to scale up? And at some point you connect with the manufacturer and they tell you, no, there's no way that would work. Like, you know, this is going to spoil and this isn't, this is going to create a, you know, um, other cost issues and we don't allow this ingredient in our facility and blah, blah, blah. So you're kind of parallel pathing. Um, at least as a first timer who doesn't really know how this works, you're kind of parallel pathing like a prototype as well as what could possibly be manufactured at scale. Um, and it's just like brute iteration. You're just going, you're sort of solving for things one after another. Like when I started, I wanted to include these crazy ingredients like curcumin or resveratrol because um, they're good for the brain for a number of reasons, but there's just no possible way you can include them. It's, going to make your bars orange or taste terrible or cost six bucks instead of two bucks so you just kind of like solve each of those incremental issues one by one by one by one and eventually you get to a place where you're like okay this is pretty good uh, it's not perfect you know even even your first scale even my experience even the first mass production product and i say mass production we're talking tens a couple tens of thousands of units which at that point was a pun at this point is tiny, but um, even that's not going to be right. Uh, you're going to run into problems there. And so if there's one word that uh, describes it or any that describes, you know, the startup process in food and bev, it's just iteration. And yeah. it's grand. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I think I've learned how you've done like so many different tweaks to the product and the packaging and stuff like that. And I kind of want to get to there in just a second, but to give everybody a little bit more kind of insight, like I, I mentioned in the, in the beginning how it's a brain food brand and that's kind of one of the biggest things about it. And that was one of the biggest reasons you created to solve your own problem. And, and so a lot of people don't really think about the connection between what you eat 
and how it affects your brain. And so give the simplistic approach to as like what maybe why you have certain things in your bar and why it actually is good for your brain. Sure. Sure. Um, so uh, that comes to that, that centers on the question of fundamentally, what are you as a product, right? Because you have to decide any, any product or creator of a product has to decide what is the product, meaning what category is it in? How do consumers perceive it? So for any functional product, you know, for some products, it's obvious, like Reese's Pieces is a candy. For functional products, it's less obvious because it could be a medicine on the that end of the spectrum. It could be a little less intense. It could be a nutraceutical. A little less intense, it could be a, you know, super functional uh, food product. Um, and then on the, the, the far other end of the spectrum, it could just be a food. It could just be a snack. And so you have to decide who are you existentially as, as a product. And um, what we decided we wanted, you know, that you can reach a mass market in any of those categories. It's just a very different mechanism by which you reach that, that, that mass market. So for us, we picked, you know, mainstream. We want to be a functional food. We want to be able to sell in Target and Costco and Sam's Club and all that. Um, which and that has serious implications, right? You're not making major claims like if you take this, this that will happen. And so our goal is let's be the uh, you know more brain healthy version of an RX bar or uh, you know a Quest bar or, or whatever. Um, but we want to play in the, those same categories. So one mm -hmm. of the quick sort of um, heuristics for what it what category are you in is what are people buying instead of you. Or vice versa. Yeah. That helps you understand. Okay, well, I want to. If someone wasn't buying us, they buy Quest Bar. Okay, well then you're in the functional, high protein bar category. You're not in a, and you're in that set in that grocery store and, and yada yada yada. So, um, but to get more specific, you know what what we we include six brain nutrients in each product. So that ranges from everything from omega threes, which everyone knows about. It's, it's a really common. A popular compound um, to more sort of esoteric uh, compounds like lion's mane, which uh, is a functional mushroom and is becoming more popular. But it's you know, if you ask someone in the middle of the U.S. at a at a Walmart what lion's mane is, that the odds of them knowing the answer is next to nothing. So, um, you know that that's its own balance. But we include a whole host of of six brain nutrients in every product. But again, it's 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 new. It's, they all have a scientific backing that they're good for your brain for X Y Z reason. Right. We're very careful not to live in that medicine, you know, medicine or nutraceutical world and say if you take this, that will happen because you get yourself into a lot of hot water. And you also have to keep reminding yourself of who you are. You're a protein bar that sells for two dollars and nine cents a bar. Right? You're not trying to solve ailments so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I heard you on a, another podcast talk about how it's really hard to make those sorts of claims because when you eat something healthy, you don't get the good, you don't get the good outcome right away. Right. It's not like, Oh, I eat this and now I feel 10 times better. And the example you mentioned in that podcast was how like coffee is one of like the only things that you kind of get that direct feedback 
right after having it. And so it's really hard to like tell your customers to present to your customers that we're this kind of bar. Like if you eat it, you're gonna you're gonna feel this result because you might get that result, but you don't necessarily feel it and you don't feel it right away. So I think that's a, a really important kind of distinction that you guys make. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a question of, you don't want to set yourself up for failure is really the question uh, that you're trying to solve for. So don't overpromise and under deliver, I guess is another way of saying that. Like if right. you're like, this is why the, the most wildly successful products in, in food and beverage have a feedback loop you know what people don't go to starbucks because it just tastes really good right they go because they get that physiological response and it's a really strong response and it allows them to do things quicker and be more alert and blah blah blah. you know people drink red bull for the same reason people, you know et cetera, et cetera. but if you're not delivering that same uh feedback loop well, you have, don't, don't promise people you will, because they're just yeah. going to be upset. So and it's very form factor specific. So if you're making a bar, people expect very different things from, from your product than if you're making a drink or if you're making a powder. Um, so you have to uh, meet customers where they are, meet customers at the expectation sets that they're going into your category with. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. So you started from, Right, like you said, no institutional funding, just you kind of in your kitchen tinkering around a little bit. And then I, I'm not sure how many employees you have now, but you do you have some obviously some employees right now, right? Yeah, we're at six people now. Okay. Um, we'll be at call it nine at the end of Q1, I think. Okay. Gotcha. So what was kind of like one of the biggest challenges for, for you personally when you started first hired your first employee or your your first couple employees? Because I know that you know, when you start something on your own, you're the one who gets everything done. You're the one who knows that if something has to get done, then I'm going to be the one to do it. What, what was kind of the biggest challenge in hiring your first and first and second employees, if you will? We're going to take a brief pause in the interview really quickly because if you're somebody who is looking to achieve a fitness goal or maybe you lack motivation to get into the gym, you lack some structure in your in your weekly routine, or maybe you've been wanting to get back into the fitness game and get back to maybe your weight loss goal or whatever goal it is, and you're not really quite sure how. If that sounds like you, my 10-week program is for you because I help everybody set a very specific goal. Then we create a very specific strategy of the two or the three things that we need to do every single week that we believe are going to make us successful with our overall goal. And then I'll help you execute and I'll help you hold you accountable every single week. So you do the things that you kind of know you should be doing, but you're you're not quite doing them right now. And that's what I've done with hundreds of people over the past 365 days, over the past a little over a year. And I want you to make sure that you are part of it as well. And enough for me, I want you to hear from the people who have done it in the past, what they've got out of it and, and why they did it in the first place. So here you go. I cannot say enough good things about Nick's 10 week program. I have always been somebody who has worked out but never really had a fitness goal. Um, if anything I really wanted to achieve, it was more so just to stay in shape. And Nick does a great job of helping you not only define the goal, but also um, realize what steps you need to take to get there. Tomorrow, um, as of my weigh-in week nine, I hit my goal of losing 25 pounds in 10 weeks. Just the whole methodology of the program with it being one big goal followed by some smaller goals to help me reach that big goal and then the weekly commitments to help me reach those smaller goals. During these times it's helped strengthen my mental health and strengthen my focus and really made sure to hold me accountable to my goals. I'm so happy that I was able to hit the goal 
and uh, so much so that I decided to do another 10 weeks with Nick. I would recommend it to anybody, no matter what your goals are, if it's weight loss, if it's running a shorter mile, if it's anything you would like to achieve, I think that this program gives you the tools to set yourself up for success. But one of the biggest benefits for me, the biggest takeaway, I had was one I wasn't necessarily set out to improve upon, and that was building more self-confidence and really instilling self-accountability. The program was great. Um, I'm doing it again a second time and to continue my weight loss and just can't recommend it enough. So again, guys, if you lack motivation, if you lack structure, if you want to get back into your fitness game but you're not really sure how, then I want you to make sure you go to nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs to learn more. For now, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, well, well, the first challenge is money. You got to pay them something. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you have to solve for that first because nothing happens without cash. So, uh, <clears throat> and you had asked earlier about Kickstarter. So a, a good sort of way to solve the chicken or egg problem, uh, namely the, uh, you know, the issue of I don't have money to pay. I don't have money to pay people to produce sales but I also don't have the sales to raise the money in the first place, right? That's like the classic chicken or egg problem with any entrepreneur. Um, now you can solve that through crowdfunding, which allows you to sell a phantom, a phantom product. And, but, but to generate very, very real sales, you know, you get taxed on Kickstarter sales as if they're sales and they are sales because they're pre-orders of products. So uh, that was the first you know, step I took is an, is to run a uh, crowdfunding campaign, generate sales, raise money on the back end of that because you've de-risked the, the venture to a huge degree. If you're successful, this is all pen, you know, pending success. But, but if you are successful, um, raise money on the back end, now you can pay people. That's like step one. Um, unless you get this, you know, unless you have a co, you have, let's say you have two co-founders, it's a totally different way of going about it. You're all on this mission together. You're all not paying each other, uh, pairing yourselves. And, you know, you have a small enough team, but the team can cover all everything, you know, finance, marketing, sales, product development, et cetera. But as a single founder, you, you of course, can't, you, you can sort of do all that, but you're just spread way too thin. So you need cash. So um, we generated the cash through Kickstarter, raised money on the back end. And the first hire, I think people make, in my opinion, your first hire has to be, well, it depends on what you're doing, right? If you want to um, complement your own skill sets in a totally non-overlapping fashion, mm-hmm. right? So if you're going to be the product development guy or the sales slash sales guy, uh, which I was, well, now you need an ops slash finance person, right? Or you could be the ops slash finance person and, and hire yeah. for other skill sets, but you're working backwards from what you bring to the table. Um, so in my case, it was, I needed an ops finance guy because I was just spending way too much time on ticky tacky, you know, getting on the phone with someone to order flax seeds and it takes two hours a day. And it's it just, it's not feasible um, yeah. to, to do that. So the first hire was ops. And then, you know, after that, I think people take different hiring paths and trajectories. So, uh, and it's never like perfect. I mean, I've had to hire and let people go and along the way and, um, you know, there, again, you have some cash, but you don't have infinite cash. So you have to tell, a, you have to be a good storyteller to any new, uh, you know, incoming people that 
they're joining this, you know, journey, right? But yeah. it's going to be a, a bumpy journey and they probably have no past experience with a journey like that. So they're like, whoa, this is going to be way different from that desk job I was at, you know, right. a month ago. And so it's just, it's just a very bumpy, rocky road. But generally speaking, I think you just have to map out what are all the functions I need to solve for? How much cash do I have to solve for those? And those will never map perfectly. You'll always be a little short, right? So, so then the question becomes, um, you know, can one person double up on functionalities or can I pay that person half and they'll do it because of X, Y, Z reason or, or whatever. It's always messy, um, but that's kind of like the high level framework. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think one of the, most important things that you said is when you're hiring, you want to lay out the expectation with the people that you're hiring that like, look, this is going to be a bumpy road because like you said, so many people haven't experienced something like that before. So when one thing goes wrong, instead of them like freaking out, like realize like that's what's going to, to actually happen. And I think laying out that expectation is important. But one thing I kind of want to go back on it and, and ask you is, was there ever a point? So like you had this other job and so you started doing this did you know, like, when you quit your other job that you're like, I am doing this thing long term, no matter what, no plan B? Like, what did that kind of thinking in, in your head look like? Uh, well, that gets into a topic that I think a lot about, which is really, I think everything boils down to risk and risk tolerance. Hmm. And I, I think people perceive risk the entirely wrong way most people i would say so most people think about risk of like in the terms of um could i fail that's how most people think about it, just in in the shorthand and they totally discount the risk of will i be happy will i be fulfilled will i regret not doing this all of those things right they totally discount those things and instead they're like well what if my paycheck runs out or blah, 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 blah. And so I think they not only think about it in the, because let's say like, again, nothing against accountants. Accountants are great. I would find being an accountant pretty boring, right? But let's say I was good at accounting. And let's say I got a job at some accounting firm, right? And so the risk of me ditching that career to go be a, you know, whatever, uh, a, a guitar player, um, is very high in some regards, right? I might, I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot of cash because I'm not going to get a salary and it might take me three, four years to work my way back up and being a, a guitar player and I might have to give lessons on the side and blah, 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 right? That That's risky in those uh, senses. But what about the risk of being like miserable for the next uh, 50 to 60 years? But to me, that's the riskiest thing of all. And so, I think there's that sort of um, imbalance between perceived risk and actual risk. And then I, the second thing is when you're young, again, sometimes you may have a mountain of student loans sitting on your head. You may have, you know, you may have to take care of your two younger siblings and you need cash to do that or whatever. But I think generally speaking, when you're in your mid twenties, the risk is just so low of doing anything. Because, you know, God willing, you're healthy, you you have the basic ability to earn cash somehow, you know, you're not going to starve. 
And so what's the risk? I just don't understand what the risk is, especially today. I mean, in the 80s or 70s or 80s, you know, entrepreneurship was not a uh, a cool thing to do, right? It was, you were kind of like seen as a weirdo. And now they're like a rock star, right? So there's some cultural element to it. But I mean, we're right now, like you're, it's cool if you start a, a startup and fail, you know, it's whatever yeah. you struck out on your own. Everyone views you as being brave. And so I, I just don't, I just don't understand what the risk is. So that was how I saw it. I mean, it was like, okay, uh, the downside is basically zero. Um, you know, you lose a little bit of time, but even if you crash and burn, you learn just an insane amount. So any quote unquote failure is going to set you up for better pro if, if you care about earnings, better long-term earnings potential um, in the future anyway. So that was how I thought about it. Now, I think a lot of people um, perceive that as like, oh, great, quit your job and do this crazy thing. It's not at all what I think you should do. I think <clears throat> keep your job, keep your job. And if you, again, it all comes down to life priorities. So you have an insane amount of time, even if you work long hours at night and on weekends, and you have years that you can use those to, to build something. Now you may not view that as a better use of time than going to bars with your friends or hanging out in the park, tossing a Frisbee. Well, in that case, don't be an entrepreneur, but um, you know, you have so much time. Don't force a solution, but get yourself to the point where you're, you've created something, you can sort of market test it, and then you're ready to go. And at that point, quit your job, you know? Um, so it, it's just, don't be an idiot. Don't, 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 don't throw yourself in the deep end necessarily, you know, unnecessarily or prematurely. At some point, it's always going to be throwing yourself in the deep end, but do everything you can to de-risk, test, confirm. And then you're going to get to a point where you're just like, I just gotta, I just, I gotta go full time on this or, or, or I'm going to lose this opportunity. And, and once you reach that, reach that breaking point, you can't do it anymore, then do it. Um, and again, that comes back to risk, risk mitigation and risk management. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot in there that, that was awesome. And I want to break down a, a couple of the things. I think when you, when you first said, I think a lot of people look at risk the wrong way. I was like, I'm really intrigued by what he's going to get ready to say here. And I absolutely love how you said how like so many people, you know, they think about just like the negative thing and they only think about a few categories. Like they think about what am I going to, what am I going to lose? They don't think about what they, they don't think about what they could gain. And they don't think about the risk of the the thing that they have not yet acquired. And, and that right there is a huge mindset shift. And I think the couple of the categories that everybody thinks about right away is like for risk is like, am I going to have less money? Am I going to be able to pay for this, pay for that? But they don't think about, am I going to be miserable over the next 20 or 30 years? And, and I think that most people when you, because I've done this too, because I've sometimes like early on, I've been thinking about like, oh, Am I going to have enough money to do this? Am I going to have money to do that? And like, I'm thinking like, I could so easily find a way to just get that money if I really needed it. And so like, get your head on straight, gain a little bit of perspective on what you're actually risking. Like, like you said, especially when you're in your twenties, like if you don't have kids yet, maybe if you're not in a relationship, if you're healthy, 
then your sole responsibility is you. And so like th- that makes that makes it a lot easier to take on maybe a little bit more risk if you will. Yeah, I think I think and I don't want to downplay the sacrifices you have to make cuz they're right. large. No doubt large. So you have to be ready for that. Like you basically have to have no friends uh, or totally ignore your friends, right? Um, You have to face a lot of relationship strain if you're in a relationship. Um, You know, you have to cut down your living expenses to as close to zero as possible. Like I moved in with one of my friends from college's parents. I had never met up until the moment I sat down for dinner with them. And I said, Hey, can I live with you for a year? And very graciously, they let me. Right. And and, and there's like all these crazy, you know, and that was awkward in many ways. And, um, but you have to, you have to be okay pushing all of your ego, your self-importance, your personal relationships, you ha- I mean, you do have to be able to push all of those away. I think not, and I think ninety nine percent of people are not willing to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, well, as as you as you said, it, it all comes down to what your priorities are in life, and it's like if you are not willing to prioritize maybe like your long term potential wealth gain or prioritizing like creating something of your own or prioritizing whatever it is, and you're more only willing to prioritize like having a lot of free time and spending a lot of time with friends and stuff, then maybe it's not for you and that's fine. But you have to have the the honest conversation with themselves. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily sit down and really think about what my priorities are because you, I mean, but once you have that honest conversation with yourself, then you can determine that whether or not this is like actually risky in the areas that I care about it being risky, if that makes sense. Totally. Totally. I, I think, I, th- I also think people uh, will lie to themselves about their priorities, right? They'll, they'll say, true. yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in it. I'm really like, this is what I care about. And then they'll go on vacation with their friends to, you know, Mexico for a week when they really should have been focusing on writing their business plan or whatever. Well, like I think what people say and all that matters, just look at what people do. Yeah, just just look at what people do. There's so much like talk about, especially now, like everyone ha- uh, like there's all these like fake Instagram like entrepreneurs and it, as a general rule of thumb, if someone's taking a picture of themselves like next to an expensive car, they're not a legitimate entrepreneur. They should be taking a, a picture of themselves next to like a shitty beat up Honda. Yeah, <laughs> and then I'll believe, and then I'll believe that they're they're actually an entrepreneur. Yeah. No doubt. I didn't even realize until like probably a few months ago when somebody told me that like people actually do that. Like they rent out cars or jets to take pictures in front of. I was like, what? I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's like it's appealing to the lowest common denominator, right? It's like it's like such a lazy like, oh, money equals you must have made that money equals you started a company to make that money. It's like. It's the most basic, it's like slapstick humor kind of territory. Yeah. But uh, kind of touching on one thing that you said um, a second ago was, I think a lot of, you said, I think a lot of people lie to themselves. 
about the, about their priorities. And I think what a lot of people end up doing is they take on the priorities of other people because they're not confident enough in sticking with their own priority. Because like, you know, for example, let's say if uh, somebody has a group of friends who wants to go on a fun trip and they get invited to go to the trip and they really know they need to stay home and do work and, and get some stuff done, but instead they end up saying, yeah, I'm going to go and convince themselves it's going to be fun, like I need to spend time with friends, all this stuff, and then they end up going and they get back and, and they're mad at themselves because they kind of took on the priority of somebody else rather than staying true and confident in what their, what was their own true priority. I think you have to like rip the Band-Aid off. Uh, honestly, I what do you mean? have to be like, uh, if you, if you really truly want to start something and, and this all, this all differs. It's all contextual. It's a little bit different for everyone. Right. So right. let's say you go raise a bunch of money and you can hire 10 people right out the gate. Well, this is way less true for that guy or that gal than it is, let's say in my instance, because you can pay yourself a good salary and you have all these people and you can delegate right out the gate. And you've almost created a small company right out the gate and, and, and you don't have to eat ramen noodles, you know, five times a week. Right. That's like, that's also a startup. It's just a very different startup. So, uh, but let's say, let's push that aside for a second. Let's say you're the kind of bootstrappy type. And um, I think this maps more like that first instance is probably more like tech Silicon Valley type type setup. And let's say for, in my instance, it's, you're creating a consumer good, right? Which you're going to fetch a way, you know, a way lower multiple. And there's a whole host of reasons why you would want to try and bootstrap it as much as possible. But let's just say you are. Um, I, you know, I think at that point when you say, okay, I'm going to do this, you have to let everyone around you know, guys, like I'm, I'm going to be kind of out of pocket for the next maybe five years. <laughs> you know, like. I, I, I'm going to be probably a pretty bad friend. Uh, I'm going to be not that responsive. If there's a trip planned, I might cancel it. Uh, you know, or I might not just not go at the last minute. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go out to bars with you because I'm saving money. You, I think you just have to like set expectations with everyone around you up front and for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise you just kind of start, leaning back into that life you used to live and it just doesn't work it just won't work i've seen it crash and burn so many times and and people just give up um so save yourself that heartache i mean if you're not going to really rip the band-aid off and do it why bother in the first place yeah yeah no doubt no doubt well i could go on about that stuff all day i want to kind of go back to a story that i found interesting that i i think i, I read about from you and there was a point early on where you accepted a big order from CVS I think it was and you weren't sure necessarily how you were going to be able to fulfill all the orders yet you just knew oh, I'm doing this I'm going for it I'm saying yes and then you kind of figured out where you were going to get all the all the production from and then the production started and the wrappers weren't fully sealing um, and I, I want you to kind of just rehash that story a little bit for everybody because I think it's really important and it, and it kind of reveals some a couple of good lessons in there <clears throat> yeah i mean every consumer package good founder or uh, what a 
executive or someone who's worked in a CPG company has their war stories. Whenever you're making anything, stuff will go wrong. Just as like a rule of thumb. But um, and and oftentimes the the opportunity doesn't line up with your ability to fulfill the opportunity. And so you have to. That was the case in in this instance where CVS said, okay. Like to put you in all these stores and make a couple hundred thousand units, and um, so that was this big opportunity. Now we weren't at the place where we could really, really confidently say yes, I can fulfill that tomorrow. Instead, we were, you know, at this tiny contract manufacturer that couldn't do it, and so basically, what we did, for better or worse, is we said yes, we can do that and then figured out how to do it. So what I mean by that is we changed to a new contract manufacturer. We, um, you know, figured out how to make the unit economics work. Um, we scaled up everything about the business in like a one month span, which is just nuts. And when you do that, there's a, you know, a, a decent chance something will go wrong because you're just, you by definition are doing it hastily. So anyway, to get more specific about the story, we we drove out to the manufacturer on, on day one of the CBS production and we're all fired up and the whole team piles into my car and we drive out and stay at this crappy motel and, and we drive there in the morning and it starts at like, I don't know, 5 a.m. They, they start producing products at like it's an insanely early hour. So we get there at 5 a.m. It's pitch black. It's like icy. Uh, this is in the winter. Um, you know, we fishtail the car a couple times, and finally we pull pull into the 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 parking lot of this contract manufacturer. We get in, you know, sign in, put our uh, hair nets on, and walk onto the floor. And it's just it's incredibly cool to see anything be mass produced, let alone your your own thing. But so, you know, there's a couple stages with making bars, you know, you mix it and then you put it on what's called a slab line and then it rolls out into basically a sheet of dough and then it gets sliced into these, what's called strings. And then there's this guillotine chopper and it chops it. Anyway, everything was going great. Um, we made it past the mix stage and then it was, and it was forming well and it was slicing well. And, and then it, went into these these wrappers. There's a machine called the flow wrapper. And so each bar come, goes in and it's a crazy clip. It's like 200 a minute. And so we check out the wrappers. It looks great. They're in the boxes. It looks great. We're high-fiving again, chest bumping. And then this lady comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder and she says, yeah, we, we have a problem. And I was like, well, what do you mean we have a problem? And she said, well... Your your wrappers aren't passing the blow test, and I was like, "Well, what's the blow test?" She said, "Well, we put bars in this pressurized uh, compartment, and if they don't um, sort of pop up like a balloon, it means there's a leak. They're not sealing properly, and none of your bars are sealing properly." And I was like, "Okay, well, what what do you do about that?" She said, "Well, there's actually not really anything you can do about that. You know, we can try and." put the wrapper clamper to a higher pressure. And so we try that, nothing, nothing changes. Meanwhile, the actual, the rep from the wrapper company went there that day, he was on the floor. So this guy started freaking out and I start freaking out at this guy. I'm like, what's the, what, what the hell? 
uh, you know, they make millions of wrappers a, a, a year. You, you can't make wrappers that seal properly. And so we just sit there and like, oh my God, what do we do? Are we going to make hundreds of thousands of bars that don't have sealed wrappers? Of course not. So we stop the production. We're just like, stop. Everyone just stop. And um, we stopped it. And we had to throw out a good amount of products. And we were like, okay, well, we have to fulfill this PO. So we get on the horn with like every wrapper company in America. Like, look, this is this crazy situation. We need wrappers in like a week. Because they said they could fit us in again in a week. Like, look, we need wrappers in a week. Like, please. And finally, we get someone who's like, okay, I think I could turn it around in a week and expedite them too. So we did it. And we were back there next week and produced again and the wrapper sealed and the rest is history. So, but that's like, I mean, that's one story. I could tell you three others like that. Yeah. But <laughs> Oh my Lord. I can only, I can only imagine. I would love to hear them. Uh, but I, um, what do you feel like is, I think my biggest takeaway from that is that it's okay to say yes before you feel ready because even when something goes wrong, you're going to find a way to correct it if you're, you know, resilient enough and, and work hard enough. Now, I don't know if that's your main takeaway or main lesson, but that's what, that's what I first thought about when I heard that story the first time. Well, I think, I think it comes down to what kind of a business do you want to build, right? So if you want to build this like really, really fast growing business that's doubling every year and you know, your multi-million dollar business in year two and you're, you know, you're going to have just epic screw ups. There's just no way to do that cleanly. Right. Um, now you don't have to do that. You could also build a business where you kind of, you just say no to CBS and you kind of work your way up and okay, now I can, now I feel comfortable producing 50,000 units and mm -hmm. now I feel comfortable producing a hundred thousand. And, but it's going to take you twice as long, maybe three times, maybe four times as long. Right. So there's no, you can't, you can't, there's no free lunch, right? Like you, you, there's no shortcut. Either you go too fast and deal with the repercussions and figure it out, or you go slow, but which is you don't deal with the repercussions, but you're just going slow right now. Yeah. I'm not interested in going slow. So I don't, I don't think there's one just like silver bullet concept there. Like I think right. it's preferential and I bet 10 other people could tell you that story and it put them out of business. So I don't think the answer is just like, go do stuff quickly, no matter what. Um, you know, I think the, the answer is probably somewhere in between. It's like, get yourself to a point where you're above some degree of confidence that you can make, you can do this thing at a high scale. And even if the worst thing happens, you'll still survive and you'll be okay. But it could also be this incredibly good situation. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's, pre it's preference. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I definitely, I thought what you said in regards to, it depends what kind of company you want to be. And it depends kind of like a, a lot of people don't handle stress very well. So if you don't handle stress very well, probably don't jump into something that you don't have, don't have figured out yet. Now, again, there's somewhere in between for almost, for almost every single person, but, um, down to the last couple questions here, um, well, I think that in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, that it's really important to try to gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like. What is the best version of myself capable of? 
And, and my goal every single day is to try to reverse engineer that best version of myself into reality. And so a question that I found really important for me to kind of think on is what I'm getting ready to uh, present to you is, is there a specific skill or a specific piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't yet currently have? Oh man, that's a good one. Uh, because, you know, I think there are things, it's all, there's all like, there's a vector and you can be at your early stage or your, your ramped up stage on any personality trait. Um, and generally speaking, I think I have the traits necessary to be really successful. And the best me, they're not just not super ramped up. So I guess I'll give you one that I'm, I work on and I think I could be a lot better at. Um, I'll give you a couple. The first one is, the ability to, I mean, the only way to really scale anything is to delegate and be a good manager. And I find that to be incredibly tough because it's, you're never going to have enough time to be a really good manager. Um, and then even with the time you do have, you can always do it better. And that's some mix of interpersonal skills, motivational skills, um, you know, it's something I struggle with because I'm very much an inward focused person. Like, okay, if I could just do this, 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 and this, that outcome will happen. And inherently, when you work with other people, you don't know what's happening in their mind. You don't know necessarily what makes them tick. You, you know generally how skillful they are at whatever set of skills, but you don't know exactly. Um, and so you're you're moving into the unknown there. But you have to. You just have to. Um, so you know, hiring and managing and t I guess team building would be the umbrella there is something I'm always trying to, to learn more because there's no one answer, right? Right. If Steve Jobs, right, who's an asshole, but creates this incredible empire, and then you have, you know, someone else um, on the other end of the spectrum is the nicest guy ever, and they build this epic empire. So it's, it's not so simple. Don't let anyone ever tell you that one way is the best self way like, like i think there's a couple different ways to, to skin the cat here but um for me it that that's what comes um to mind number one and the second thing is humility like if you ever think that you're the man or the woman you're not like you're just not you're maybe a little better than you were but i think like you have to have a minuscule ego to survive in this game because when you start thinking you're the man and acting like you're the man, people start expecting you to be invincible and you're not. And you're they start expecting you to not make mistakes and you will. So humility, like never think you have all the answers because you, I guarantee you, you don't. Um, but you should always work towards having the right answers. Just don't act like it. Yeah. Just don't act like you. I love that. I love it. Well, uh, before I before I ask the last question, well, I want to acknowledge you first. I think those last two things were awesome: the team building thing and the humility thing. But um, second, you're you're so it seems like you're so deliberate behind a lot of the kind of really from the, a lot of the answers you gave. You gave you almost you know you talked a lot about the um, looking at risk differently, and you talked about specifically how you actually are supposed to look at risk, and you just seem very intentional behind the decisions that you make and the words that you say, and I think that's something that is uh, 
definitely super admirable. And, and I, I love the, the story to be able to have the manufacturing screw up and then figure out within a week how you're going to be able to uh, rebound it and figure that out. So awesome stuff. Um, but before I ask, yeah, dude, of course. Well, before I ask the last question, uh, I want to make sure everybody goes and supports you guys further. If they uh, don't follow you guys and support you yet, you can find them on social media at Eat IQ Bar, and uh, their website is www.eatiqbar.com. Is there any other um, best place that people should go uh, and, and learn more about the bar and, and get the bar? Awesome. Good deal. Well, Last question, Will, is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey, and I think it's also a unique journey. You touched on how you always need to be humble. You always want to learn more you know, today than you knew yesterday, and it's also a journey that is unique. I think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that bill, best Will Nitsa that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you can do or currently work on? Um, that's an, also another good question. Dovetails with the, with the earlier question. Yeah. Um, you know, if there are three things. Let's see. I would say psychological self-management, right? Um, know what makes you bummed out and what makes you fired up mm -hmm. and trick, trick yourself into being always fired up, right? You know what your triggers, both positive and negative are surround yourself with things and experiences that will generate good outcomes. Um, that would be the first thing. Uh, second thing would, which again, dovetails with my earlier comment, surround yourself with the right people. Right, build a network both internally on your team, but also externally through investors, advisors, mentors, friends, whatever. Um, build the right group of people around you because you know we are what we are the five closest people to us, or whatever that that saying is. So um, that's incredibly important. And then just keep going. Uh, I think I think it's it's so cliched and simple, but um, perseverance, just in its simplest, most raw form, is the most important thing in in life. Honestly, uh, I believe like just showing up every day will produce incredible results. People start faltering when they stop showing up. So just show up, no matter how smart you are, how whatever you are, if you just keep showing up good things will happen. Um, and I think it's pretty rare where someone just, just kept showing up and they didn't eventually, you know, eventually achieve success. Yeah. I love it. I love it, dude. Three great things. Uh, that's all we got today. I appreciate it. Will. righty. Thanks for having me. There you have it. Such an awesome and great episode with Will. Be sure you share the episode with a friend or family member who you think would be inspired by it, who you think maybe wants to be an entrepreneur or maybe already is one and share it with them because it'll give them the confidence to keep going and to persevere. You can send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast where they can get the audio, the YouTube video, and then all the show notes. And also, if you're interested in my 10-week program or you know somebody who is interested, make sure you go to nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Also, you, need, you want to make sure you go learn more about Eat IQ Bar and, and maybe try out their bars by going to eatiqbar.com and you can learn more about them 
because they got some awesome stuff going on. Remember, look at risk differently. Think about what you might be able to gain from taking a leap of faith, and then think about what it would feel like to give that up, because taking a risk isn't just about what you might lose. Taking a risk is also about what you fail to gain, and you don't want to fail to gain anything. That's why we want to take on, quote, risks. In order to get closer to the best you, if you're anything like Will, make sure that you work on your own psychological self-management. I thought that was awesome. Make sure you surround yourself with the right people, and also just keep going regardless of the situation keep showing up because these are the things that are going to get you day in and day out closer and closer to your best you